for those of you who do not know me, my name is Dr. Laura Pfeiffer. I am a naturopathic doctor. And the reason I wanted to do this webinar was actually to obviously break down pregnancy with respect to COVID-19 in this current climate because a lot of women are either pregnant or trying to conceive and this can leave you wondering what the next steps are or what you should do or should you be worried about specific things and what should you prepare for and what is the hospital going to look like and so what I've done is I've actually gone through all of the research as of today Uh, so that's kind of an update on everything this is a focus on everything you need to know about pregnancy childbirth breastfeeding newborn care and trying to conceive when it comes to COVID-19 precautions so I will preface this with you need to note the research is ever-changing and as we've been seeing with respect to government guidelines and other sort of guidelines and changes things are changing on sometimes an hourly basis. So it is really, really important that we understand this and we take whatever we can from the information that we have. So some other important things to note, like I mentioned, evidence and research is ever-changing. We only know what we know. Things are evolving rapidly and changes are being made sometimes on an hour-by-hour basis. Knowledge is power. And so this is why I created this. The more we know, the less we fear. And often fear is based on the unknown. So the more we can prepare, the more we can understand, the more adequately equipped we are to deal with things that come our way. And the more we can understand the things that we can control and the things that we cannot control can also help to uh, really get rid of that fear and anxiety. I also want you to know that it is okay to feel anxious or scared, but I want to try to highlight the important information that you can use and that's relevant for you because it's really easy to get lost in a lot of the COVID-19 resources, the news that is forever going on and on 24-7 broadcasts, kind of trying to decipher what applies to you, what doesn't apply to you. And so I'm showing you the evidence, recent and not so recent. And when I say that, I mean it's all going to be February and March of this year. But since this is also new, it is important to evaluate everything as it changes. So you'll notice that some of the evidence might have conflicting recommendations. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to put across here with, with specific recommendations. I'm looking at all regulatory bodies, so obviously if you are in Canada, you are going by a lot of the Canadian guidelines. Uh, If you are pregnant, you are going by your doctor, OBGYN, midwife, your primary healthcare provider's recommendations. However, I am just trying to provide the evidence so you can understand how to decipher information that may come your way. I also want you to understand where we are looking or where we are at from a global perspective and not just our own country. And so quickly, let's just go over the COVID-19 presentation. I'm not going to delve into the virus itself at all, really, because that's not why I'm doing this. But the most common symptoms reported are fever. So 43.8% of cases on admission have a fever and 88.7% during hospitalization have a fever. 67.8% have a cough and diarrhea is uncommon. So that's seen in 3.8%. 
Our current situation, and this is as of March 27th, 2020, the COVID-19 numbers in Canada. So the number of people that are tested or have been tested are 170,644. The confirmed cases are 4,689. Probable cases, so this is, we think this is COVID, but we're waiting on results, is 14. And we've had 53 deaths so far. So let's start with those trying to conceive. And so on March 23rd, 2020, the Australian and New Zealand College of OBGYNs said that for women who are trying to conceive or who are in early pregnancy, there is no evidence to suggest an increased risk of uh, miscarriage with COVID-19. The European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology cautioned that all fertility patients considering or planning treatment should avoid becoming pregnant at this time, and they cited the lack of information around how COVID-19 affects early pregnancy. So they kind of told those trying to conceive to err on the side of caution. The Canadian Fertility and Andrology Society had a little bit of a different perspective, and they said, it is our hope that specific measures to minimize non-essential contacts with the healthcare system will reduce transmission to our members, families, and patients, thereby slowing the increase in the number of cases and protecting our medical systems from being overwhelmed. As such, our, our advice to patients would be that they stay home if they can, and that would include not attending fertility consultations or procedures. While large government organizations cannot specifically address implementation of public health measures for fertility clinics, the CFAS, so the Canadian Fertility and Andrology Society, is providing interpretation as it applies to our members. So they basically said they want to fertility clinics to drastically reduce in-person interactions by conducting consultations by telemedicine or phone, completing all current IVF cycles, but utilizing freeze-all only, suspending all diagnostic and elective procedures and surgeries, and postponing any new cycle starts aside from urgent cryopreservation for, uh, related to cancer until further notice. And so to me, that means that they are doing their part to reduce what they consider as non-essential appointments. And so it's not really the recommendation based on the impacts COVID would have directly on fertility, but it is a recommendation that has been put into place based on the impact that COVID will have on the healthcare system. So they don't want to overburden the healthcare system. And so similar to a lot of non-essential businesses and services that are being asked to close. That is what their recommendation is based on. So if you can conceive naturally, it may actually just come down to a few things. So one of those things is supports and resources. So when we look at it from a broader perspective, we're looking at, okay, if you were to conceive, are you able to get the available appointments, lab work, ultrasounds? Are they booking normally? Are they being canceled? What sort of healthcare supports do you have? What sort of resources do you have? Do you have the ability to do in-person visits? Are virtual enough? So it would be a good idea if you are trying to conceive to contact your local OBGYN office or your local midwife to ask what they're putting in place if you were to become pregnant or if do they recommend you waiting because it might be a lot on the healthcare system or maybe they're not allowing 
ultrasounds and less essential right now. So it might be more difficult to get the testing you require. The other thing to keep in mind is if you are a higher risk pregnancy, if you are, uh, if you have had a high risk pregnancy in the past, if you have pre-existing conditions and you were planning on getting pregnant, how difficult will it be for you to seek that care? And I do know that midwives and OBGYNs are essential providers. And if you are pregnant, you need to be attending your essential appointments as per your healthcare provider. But it is a good thing to think about uh, and, and possibly a good thing to ask if that is something you are currently considering. And the other thing is fear and anxiety. So that might actually ha- help or hinder your decision, but having the correct knowledge as much as possible will be the most important tool that you can have. And so why pregnant women? So pregnant women have been added to the vulnerable group of people along with the elderly, along with people with autoimmune concerns and pre-existing conditions. And the reason for that is really simple. Pregnant women have a suppressed immune system. And so pregnancy is a physiological state that predisposes women to respiratory complications of viral infection. Due to the Due to the physiological changes in their immune and their cardiopulmonary systems, pregnant women are more likely to develop severe illness after infection with a respiratory virus. Currently, there is no evidence that pregnant women are more susceptible to COVID-19 infection or that those with COVID-19 infection are more prone to developing severe pneumonia. So with the current evidence we have, there is actually no evidence to support that pregnant women are more likely to get it than anyone else. And there's also no evidence right now to support that they're more likely to get a severe case than anyone else. So looking at pregnant women and pneumonia in general, so not related to COVID-19, but just pneumonia, this is information from the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecologists of Canada. And they are saying both viral and bacterial pneumonia are important causes of morbidity and mortality. 20% of pregnant women with pneumonia will require hospitalization. And there is a high case fatality rate in pregnant women over non-pregnant women with pneumonia. There is also associated adverse outcomes in pregnancy for those who have pneumonia. And that includes preterm rupture of membranes, preterm labor, intrauterine fetal demise, so stillborns, intrauterine growth restrictions, so babies aren't being uh, growing to size, and neonatal death and complications of prematurity, so they can actually be born premature. And that is just with pneumonia alone. We are not talking about COVID-19 specifically. And so if you are listening to just audio, I have a chart here that is talk, that is summarizing certain studies and pregnancy outcomes. If you are looking at the video, you will see there's studies on the side, there's the virus, the number of cases, maternal ICU admissions, maternal mortality, and pregnancy outcomes. And so in the yellow at the bottom, these are COVID-19 cases. So just note again, the research is still developing. However, when we look specifically at the COVID-19, we have One study, 0% maternal ICU admission. Another study, 0% maternal ICU admission. One study had a 7.5% maternal ICU admission, but that says N equals 1. So that means that was one person. And in another study by the World Health Organization, they looked at 64 cases and they found maternal ICU admission was between 1 and 8%. 
Of all of that information, there was 0% maternal mortality. So none of the moms died after they were admitted. And with pregnancy outcomes, we had, with one study, nine healthy infants were born between weeks 36 and 38. In another study, 10 out of 16 were delivered healthy. And to be completely honest, we don't really know if the rest of the outcomes or potential outcomes had anything to do with the infection. And another one that looked at uh, that looked at outcomes found that there was preterm labor and one stillbirth in a critically ill mother. Again, we don't know any of the other particulars on those patients. So, The current recommendations, like I said, I'm going to tell you uh, different governing bodies, what they recommend, and then I'll kind of talk a little bit about that. But I'm not including current recommendations that everyone has been asked to do. So I'm not talking about social distancing and how to do that. I'm not really going to talk about hand hygiene unless it is part of the specific pregnancy-related recommendations because we all know that. So just take take into account that all of those factors are already in play when I'm making these current recommendations. So looking at UK sources, so sources from the United Kingdom, they say that evidence we have so far is that pregnant women are still no more likely to contract the infection than the general population. All women, regardless of gestation, should practice proper social distancing. And women above 28 weeks gestation should be particularly attentive to social distancing and minimizing contacts with others. So that is their recommendations. On March 17th, 2020, the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada created a COVID-19 pregnancy algorithm. And so what that means is they give basically a care model for practitioners with women who present with COVID-19. So it starts off with a pregnant woman with COVID-19 exposure. If she is asymptomatic, this pregnant woman is asked to do home monitoring and testing if indicated. So they say that because the COVID-19 testing indications are forever changing. We are having updates daily on who's being tested and why. And so basically, the pregnant woman who is asymptomatic and has potential exposure is to be treated as anyone else in the community. A pregnant woman with COVID-19 exposure who is symptomatic and their COVID status is either positive or unknown would be told to use droplet precaution. So that is more of that social isolation similar to someone who would be exposed who wasn't pregnant. If this symptomatic woman who had exposure tests COVID negative, then she's going to consider other supports. So whether she has the flu or something else, supportive care is given there. So in the woman who has a positive or an unknown status, we are taking precautions. They will consider hospital administra- sorry, hospital admission if it's indicated. And so during that labor, uh, before you give birth, they're just doing maternal surveillance. They're looking at vital signs. They're looking at fetal surveillance. They're basically just looking at indicators that you are doing okay. The timing and mode of delivery is governed by your obstetric indications. And so 
having COVID-19 does not mean you need to be induced early. It does not mean that you are going to have preterm labor. It does not mean that something is happening to your baby. They are taking proper precautions right now to just make sure that you're being properly evaluated and watched. And that would be with any illness that was seen to be severe in pregnant women. And so there are some situations where you would either not do or do delayed cord clamping, but that's going to be related to the separation of the mother and the baby, breastfeeding. Um, it's All of these decisions are going to be made based on the individual circumstance. So that is not a recommendation across the board. That is either there um, nor not recommended. And then postpartum, they're saying – Continue precautions for the mother and infant. Mother is to mask for breastfeeding. So that is a different, uh, you're, you're to wear a mask. And no isolation of the infant from the mother unless clinically indicated by disease severity. So the Canadian recommendations right now are saying that there's no reason to separate mom and baby unless the mom or the baby is not doing well. On March 19th, 2020, the American Academy of OBGYNs stated this. Some current recommendations are well supported based largely on what we know from seasonal influenza. Avoid contact with ill persons, avoid touching their face, cover coughs and sneezes, wash hands frequently, disinfect contaminated services, stay home when sick. Prenatal clinics should ensure all pregnant women and their visitors are screened for fever, respiratory symptoms, and symptomatic women should be isolated from well women required to wear a mask. Sorry, and required to wear a mask. So this was the American Academy of OBGYNs. And as you can see, they're taking their recommendations from what they would do during a regular flu season, basically telling people to practice proper hygiene. On March 23rd, there was a study that came out uh, in particular on pregnant doctors and they concluded that doctors in their final trimester should avoid contact with patients. And this advice comes from updated guidance from the Royal College of OBGYNs, the Royal College of Midwives, and the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. So let's talk about the effects on mom of COVID-19. And so this is what we know. From UK sources, more severe symptoms such as pneumonia and marked hypoxia, so that's low oxygen, are widely described with COVID-19 in older people, the immunosuppressed, and those with long-term conditions such as diabetes, cancer, and chronic lung disease. These same symptoms could occur in pregnant women, so they should be identified and treated promptly. The absolute, absolute risks are, however, small. So again, we are seeing that the risk of pregnant women with COVID-19 specifically is not being seen to be that much increased to the risk of anyone else. On March 13th, the American College of OBGYN said that current available data on COVID-19 does not indicate that pregnant women are at risk. Pregnant women are known to be a greater risk of severe morbidity and mortality from other respiratory infections such as influenza and SARS. Pregnant women should be considered an at-risk population for COVID-19. So as you can see, there's not a ton of evidence backing up that claim but taking these precautionary measures, it's better to be uh, safe in this circumstance. So now the effects on baby. And this is what we're really 
worried about because as we're seeing, it's not impacting pregnant women as much as we might have thought. But can it impact baby? That's going to be the important findings. And so the American College of OBGYN posted this on March 13th, 2020. They said adverse infant outcomes, so for example, preterm birth, have been reported among infants born to mothers positive for COVID during pregnancy. However, this information is based on limited data and it is not clear that these outcomes were related to maternal infection. And so with that chart that I mentioned at the beginning, this is what I'm talking about. If in fact there are poor outcomes, they don't know if it's even linked to COVID-19 at all or if it's a poor outcome that would have happened either way. On March 17th, 2020, there was research that presented two cases of COVID-19 in women during the third trimester of pregnancy. Both mothers and their newborns had excellent outcomes. They failed to identify uh, COVID-19 in all the products of conception and in the newborns. This report provided evidence of low risk for intrauterine infection by vertical transmission of COVID-19, meaning mothers had COVID-19, their babies were healthy, and they could not find evidence of infection in the babies. On March 21st, this is UK sources, they cited pregnant women do not appear more likely to contract the infection than the general population. Pregnancy itself alters the immune system and response to viral infections in general, which can occasionally be related to more severe symptoms. This will be the same for COVID-19. So like I mentioned before, if you're going to get the flu in pregnancy, it's going to be worse probably. If you're going to get a cold, it's probably going to be worse. With regards to vertical transmission, which is basically transmission from mother to baby, case reports from China have concluded that there is no evidence for this. Expert opinion is that the fetus is unlikely to be exposed during pregnancy. A case series published by Chen Al tested amniotic fluid, cord blood, neonatal throat swabs, and breast milk samples from COVID-19 infected mothers, and all samples tested negative for the virus. In a different paper, three placentas of infected mothers were swabbed and also tested negative for the virus. In another case series, Three infants born to symptomatic mothers tested for the coronavirus and none of them had positive tests. So the current evidence as of March 21st from the UK sources suggests that the virus is not present in genital fluid. On March 28th, uh, the Royal College of OBGYNs and the Royal College of Midwives talked about the effect on the baby as well. They said there is currently no data to suggest an increased risk of miscarriage or early pregnancy loss in relation to COVID-19. Case reports from early pregnancy studies with SARS and MERS do not demonstrate a convincing relationship between infection and increased risk of miscarriage or second trimester loss. So if you go back to that chart that I talked about with the different studies, so I'm just going to scroll up for those watching the video. So if you take a look at this chart here, you're looking at the SARS virus in blue and the MERS in green. And what you can see is actually mort maternal mortality with SARS. In some of the studies, it was 25%, 28%. With the MERS infection, it was 27%. And so there was, in one study with SARS, showed 57% miscarriage in trimester one and 80% had preterm birth. And so in this updated 
source that I had just talked about. Let me just scroll to it. So case reports from early pregnancy studies with SARS and MERS do not demonstrate a convincing relationship between infection and increased risk of miscarriage or second trimester loss. And they are saying, as there is no evidence of intrauterine fetal infection with COVID-19, it is therefore currently considered unlikely that there will be congenital effects of the virus on fetal development. So they're saying that there's no evidence right now that it is impacting babies at all. And there is no evidence currently that the virus is teratogenic. And so let's look at childbirth itself. So like I mentioned earlier, COVID-19 infection itself is not an indication for delivery. So having the virus does not mean you need to be induced or have the baby unless there is a need for maternal oxygen. So if you had the virus and you weren't breathing well, then you may need to deliver. But like I mentioned before, this is going to be a case-by-case basis based on what is going on specifically with you. This isn't what happens across the board. So for suspected, probable, and confirmed cases of COVID-19 infection, delivery should be conducted in a negative pressure isolation room. The timing and mode of delivery should be individualized, dependent mainly on the clinical status of the patient, gestational age, and fetal condition. Again, these are all factors that would happen in any other circumstance. So you will deliver based on what's happening with your health. In the event that an infected woman has a spontaneous onset of labor, she can be allowed to deliver vaginally. But for the protection of the medical team, they have advised that water births should be avoided. Both regional and general anesthesia can be considered, again, depending on the clinical condition of the patient after a consult with the obstetric anesthetist. The CDC current guidelines say that pregnant patients who have confirmed COVID-19 or who are PUI, which is a person under investigation, should notify the obstetric unit prior to arrival so the, so the facility can make appropriate infection control. And if a pregnant patient who has confirmed COVID-19 or is a PUI is arriving via transport by emergency medical services, the driver should contact the emergency department and follow the protocols. So basically... If you have it or you think you have it, just call the hospital ahead of time so they can make proper precautions. On March 17th, 2020, an analysis revealed that unlike coronavirus infections of pregnant women caused by SARS and MERS, in 38 pregnant women, COVID-19 did not lead to maternal deaths. So like I mentioned before, that chart I showed with that, that research, when we looked at SARS virus, we looked at MERS virus, and we're looking at COVID-19, we are not seeing the same outcome with maternal morbidity and mortality. And so there's, they looked at 38 pregnant women, no maternal deaths. There were also no confirmed cases of intrauterine transmission. So again, March 17th, no transmission to the fetuses. And all neonatal specimens tested, including placentas, negative for COVID-19. So again, there is no evidence that COVID-19 undergoes intrauterine or transplacental transmission from an infected pregnant woman to their fetus. On March 20th, 2020, from the International Journal of Obstetrics, they found 
Currently, there is no clear evidence regarding optimal delivery and timing, the safety of vaginal delivery, or whether C-sections prevent vertical transmission. Therefore, the route of delivery and delivery timing should be individualized based on obstetrical indications. So like I said before, all these guidelines are really aligning with respect to your going to give birth in a way that makes sense for your OBGYN, regardless of COVID. The indications for early delivery depend on the mother's clinical status, gestational age, fetal well-being, and maternal fetal status. And now this is where things kind of change a bit. On March 20th, 2020, delayed cord clamping was not recommended by the International Journal of Obstetrics. They also noted that there was a low probability of vertical transmission from the mother to the fetus, and they noted that this was low-quality evidence. So they do agree with the other recommendations that it doesn't go from mother to fetus. The Society of Maternal and Fetal Medicine on March 27th, 2020, said the following. Uh, for hospital guidelines, your hospital guidelines might might vary and probably do, but this is what they suggested. They said to hospitals to consider limiting the number of support persons entering the unit. Hospital visitors, visitors should be restricted or eliminated for women who test positive. An expert opinion from areas with advanced community spread support the elimination of visitors, but each hospital should develop its own policy and disseminate it in advance. So if you are pregnant and you are giving birth soon, Call your hospital, call your midwife, call your OBGYN to see what their guidelines have changed to. If visitors are restricted, exceptions can be made for for settings of bereavement. These decisions are local and related to the overall hospital policy. Designated visitors should be asked to remain in the hospital room during their visitation. And that's just to prevent spread. And the Society of Maternal and Fetal Medicine, again, March 27th, 2020, for women testing positive, They said women who test positive should ideally be placed in an isolation room and they should wear a surgical mask at all times as clinically able. So let's talk about breastfeeding and postpartum. So on February 5th, 2020, uh, Chinese physicians got together and they did a conference. And so they talked about breastfeeding, but this was very low quality evidence. They said at present, it is uncertain whether the COVID-19 virus exists in breast milk and breastfeeding is not recommended. During this period, direct breastfeeding was not recommended. And it was recommended that mothers pump milk regularly to assure, ensure lactation. Breastfeeding may not be safe until COVID-19 is ruled out or until both mother and neonate clear the virus. But you'll notice the Society of OBGYNs of Canada said there is no evidence to date of the presence of virus in breast milk. So they had a study. They tested amniotic fluid, cord blood, neonatal throat swabs, and breast milk from six patients with confirmed COVID-19. They found that all samples tested negative for the virus. All the pregnant women were mildly symptomatic. And the time between maternal infection, confirmation, and delivery was not clear. So that means that basically they don't know whether or not these women had tested positive two weeks before and then given birth and then everything else was tested or if it was like right after one another. But nonetheless, there was no evidence to date of the presence of the virus in breast milk. The Society of OBGYNs of Canada looking at postpartum women with suspected or confirmed COVID-19. They said that it's a patient-centered discussion about the available evidence and its limitations. 
Universal isolation of the infant from the mother is not recommended. For all mother-infant pairs, good hand washing and use of a mask while engaging in infant care is recommended. Women who choose to breastfeed should be allowed to do so with appropriate hand washing and a mask. There is limited evidence but possible transmission of antibodies in breast milk, and it is currently unclear whether or not that is beneficial. The Canadian Association of Perinatal and Women's Health Nurses, so CAPWHN, on March 15th said that based on available evidence that you should continue with delayed cord clamping, continue skin to skin, and the mother should wear a mask if they are symptomatic, and you should continue with breastfeeding after you practice respiratory and hand hygiene. So you will notice that is a little bit of a 180 from the other recommendations where they said to not do delayed cord clamping. So there is no reason to not do delayed cord clamping and there's no reason why you can't do all of these other practices with your infant. On March 20th, 2020, the International Society of Ultrasound in Obstetrics and Gynecology, so the ISUOG, talking about breastfeeding, they found that a few women infected with the virus had their breast milk tested and there was no sign of the virus found in the milk. So they concluded that it appears safe to feed your breast milk to your baby, even if you have COVID-19. You should be careful to avoid passing the virus to your baby. This is best done by washing your hands before touching the baby, avoiding touching the baby's face, avoiding coughing and sneezing on the baby, and wearing a mask when breastfeeding. Another good option is to pump and express by hand the breast milk and have someone who is not sick feed the baby. If you pump or hand express your milk, make sure you wash your hands before doing so. On March 27th, the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine concluded that in accordance with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, breastfeeding or pumping for women who are COVID-19 positive or persons under investigation is still recommended. The the neonate may be at risk of COVID-19 acquisition via respiratory droplets while breastfeeding. The decision to express breast milk with a dedicated breast pump versus direct breastfeeding with careful hand hygiene and droplet precautions should be made in communication with the patient, taking into consideration her health status, and her surrounding resources. That is the official recommendation from Society of Maternal and Fetal Medicine, March 27th. So that was yesterday. And so that basically means that, yes, you can breastfeed if you're taking the proper precautions, but you can also pump and have someone else feed the baby depending on what your health status is and depending on what your healthcare provider determines is appropriate. On March 27th, 2020, also the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine talked about NSAID use. So we have heard NSAIDs may be good, may not be good. Uh, The latest says that information on NSAID use in the setting of COVID-19 is emerging. While some have suggested avoiding the use of NSAIDs for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19 infection, this practice is controversial and robust, robust data is lacking. At this point, for women who are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic that require analgesic medication beyond acetaminophen, so beyond Tylenol, NSAIDs can continue to be used as the alternative of opioids likely poses more clinical risks. So I would say that the evidence is lacking in this department. I would say if you don't need Advil, um, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't be taking Advil anyways. I'm talking about postpartum. If you need Advil, uh, the current evidence doesn't suggest that you have to avoid it. 
I would say if you can stick to Tylenol, that would be good and that would probably be better in light of lack of evidence. So I wouldn't say that it's good or bad, but I would say that if we do have reports, everything is coming out new and we should really kind of tread carefully. And the CDC current guidelines suggest the following. So they say breast milk is still best for the infant. They say it is unknown whether newborns with COVID-19 are at risk for severe complications, transmission after birth via contact with infectious respiratory secretions is a concern. So I've talked about the masks. I've talked about proper hand hygiene and making sure you're not coughing or sneezing near the infant. To reduce the risk of transmission of the virus that causes COVID-19 from the mother to the newborn, facilities should consider temporarily separating the mother who is confirmed COVID-19 or a person under investigation from her baby until the mother's transmission-based precautions are discontinued. So the CDC does recommend uh, separating mom and baby until all precautions can be taken. They also say that if no other healthy adult is present in the room to care for a newborn, a mother who is confirmed COVID-19 or a person under investigation should put on a face mask and practice hand hygiene before each feeding or other close contact with her newborn. The face mask should remain in place during contact with the newborn. These practices should continue while the mother is on transmission-based precautions in a healthcare facility. So you can see that some of the recommendations are actually quite... Uh, quite different depending on what you're looking at what you're going by and so it is really important to just speak with your OBGYN or your midwife and call your local hospital but like I said I'm just here to provide the information so you can understand where we are from a global perspective and understand kind of how things have changed how things are different throughout the world the CDC's note that during temporary separation mothers who intend to breastfeed should be encouraged to express their breast milk to establish and maintain a milk supply if possible, a dedicated breast pump should be provided prior to express, expressing breast milk. Mothers should practice hand hygiene. So we've mentioned hand hygiene, making sure we're wearing masks. After each pumping session, all parts that come into contact with breast milk should be thoroughly washed. Entire pump should be properly disinfected, which you should do anyways when you're pumping. Uh, this expressed breast milk should be fed to the newborn by a healthy caregiver. If a mother and newborn do room in, so they're sharing a room, and the mother wishes to feed at the breast, she should put a face mask and practice hand hygiene before each feeding. So even though the CDC is recommending one way, they aren't recommending against mothers directly breastfeeding. Again, they're saying that that is something that is a choice that the mother and the healthcare provider need to discuss. So let's talk about newborn care. The CAPWHN on March 15th said that if a person was COVID-19 positive, the newborn should also be tested at birth. If the mother was not tested but suspected, the newborn should be considered to be tested. And that's all the information I have with respect to newborn testing. So to conclude with my thoughts and my recommendations based on the current available evidence, if you are pregnant, <clears throat> I just want to say first, just take a deep breath because I know this can feel really overwhelming and really uncertain, but your healthcare providers are still here for every question and concern. Even if it is over the phone, even if it is virtual, we know that regardless of anything, pregnancies continue and they're not going to stop no matter what. It's not going to stop based on a pandemic. It's not going to stop based on any other scenario. So your healthcare providers are there for you. Secondly, know that it is okay to feel stressed, to feel anxious. 
this is new to all of us. None of us have navigated these waters before and we are all just doing the best we can with the information we have. Next, the current available evidence does not suggest that you or your baby is at an additional risk for poor outcomes. The current evidence suggests that you can continue to breastfeed. The current evidence suggests that you can still deliver at your hospital. Call your OBGYN, midwife, or hospital so you can prepare for any new changes that they're doing for the guidelines with respect to how many people you can have there, what door are you supposed to enter, uh, do you have to get rid of a support person, do you have to bring food because maybe you're not allowed to leave. Make sure you call your hospital if you haven't already or call your healthcare provider to get that updated information. Again, practice proper hygiene, social distancing, which is the most important point. Don't see your friends, don't see your family. Unfortunately, until we get through this, especially because you are marked as a vulnerable population, even though the evidence may suggest otherwise for now. Only go out when absolutely necessary and work from home if possible. And with the new emerging evidence, if you are considered an essential worker, perhaps you can talk to your employer and get some different uh, accommodations. Find something at home you enjoy. So some gentle exercise, do some yoga, get outside and get some fresh air. Just because we're social distancing does not mean that we cannot get fresh air. And in fact, I highly recommend you do so. Continue to take your prescribed supplements and always follow the advice of your healthcare professionals. So don't start taking additional supplements that were not recommended for you, thinking that it will help your immune system or ward off infection because that can actually be more dangerous to you and your baby than not taking anything at all. So please, please speak with your naturopathic doctor, your midwife, your OBGYN before making any of these decisions. Also, focus on lots of fruits and vegetables, salads, smoothies, fiber, lots of water. Yes, diet is important for your immune health. Uh, So make sure that we're looking at the foundations, diet, sleep, and stress. Managing your stress with lots of deep breathing, partner meditations if your partner's interested in helping you through this time or you have a support person who can help you through this time, meditations with someone else can be really valuable. I like calm.com. There's Headspace app. Uh, There's lots of free apps now and I'm sure there's even more uh, to date that I don't even know about. And rest whenever possible. Don't push yourself to do more than you need to. Focus on your immune system. Focus on your health, number one. And for those trying to conceive, I think that, again, the evidence is limited. The data that we have does show that it's not being transmitted to fetuses. It is not being associated with any poor outcomes. However, I would go back to my original point of looking at available resources, um, looking at available supports, uh, maybe getting more information. If you are in the position to wait I would advise to do so. But if you're not in the position to wait, it's probably going to be okay. So I would say that if you can wait, do. But now's the time to manage stress, optimize diet, get yourself a fertility-friendly type of diet, focus on your egg quality, get on your proper supplements, and so that you can be fully and adequately prepared for when the time comes where it is ideal to try to conceive. So... That's it for me. That's the available evidence. If you have any questions, you can always send an email to laura at laurapeiffer.com. Follow me more on at drlauraND on Instagram. uh, And join the Well Women Tribe on Facebook if you have not already. Thanks, guys.